This isn't the sermon that I spent the first part of the week writing and preparing because uh, having had a kind of a, a break in the, the week, I, I got back to it only Saturday morning. I was ill Friday, really. Um, so I got back to it yesterday morning, sitting around home very quietly, plodding along carefully, and I began to write what I thought was the week after sermon, number five, while I thought about it. And then after a while I realized I'd written so much about the week after sermon, I needed to make this week's sermon. So I prayed and trusted that that was the Holy Spirit's guidance. You know, I'll do switch them around, number five becomes number four, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so this is it. It's difficult, it was difficult to get a short title to this sermon, so I've called it God's Order. But let me talk through to what I mean by that as we go through. So loving God and God's order. The Christian lives in the knowledge that this is not that. Okay, I'm not just being funny, but this isn't what God made or what God intended. This isn't that. This is not how God ordered things. This present age or world, and the New Testament uses those two words interchangeably, really. It's this this time span and this physical planet is fallen. It's corrupt. It, because we fall short of the glory of God, so does our environment, our creation around us. Our human societies fall short of the glory of God. That's the definition of sin, by the way. Whatever doesn't glorify God is sin. So I need today to point you to three worlds or ages. The creation, this present age, and the age to come. An ancient Christian doxology says this. Glory be to God the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, or we would say Spirit nowadays, as it was in the beginning, is now and, and always and into the end of the ages, world without end. Amen. In the traditional Anglican version of that, they use that world without end, which confused me when I was a child because I thought that what that, that blessing or doxology was saying was that the world had always been the same and would always be the same. And if you don't want anything to change in life, you're an arch-conservative. Change? Never! You know, then you kind of want that to be true. You know, the, the world's always been the same and it's always going to be the same. Well, we, should, we wouldn't have a politics if we believed that. Yeah, we wouldn't have any political movements because we'd give up our apathy. That is not true, though some people like it to be true. What that doxology is saying is the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, is the same in the beginning, now, and always, to the ends of the ages. The world, a perfect, which was a perfect creation, is not the world as we now have it. This present world, this age, will pass away and give place to God's restored new creation. Now, I've had this song, um, Chinonsa had a song buzzing around her head, which was a good song. We sang this morning. I had a song running, buzzing around my head, and I'm not going to sing it to you. All right? It's an old song by Billy Preston when he joined the, the Beatles label, Apple. And it was, uh, that's the way God planned it. That's the way God meant it, wants it to be. Do you remember that one? We Christians live in the knowledge that, of how God made things, which was good, through the... Though the Lord finished creation in six days, we're told seven times in Genesis 1 that what he made was good. Six times it says, and God saw and that it was good. But then the seventh time, at the end of the sixth day, it says God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. God was totally satisfied with all that he 
had made. Now, why does it say seven times for six days? Because seven is the Bible number of perfection, of completion. Six is the number of incompleteness, and it's the number of man. We are incomplete, but seven is complete. But, on, but the rebellion came. Adam and Eve sinned against the Most High. I want you to notice that God's judgment against Adam was also a judgment upon the earth, the ground, the fall and curse. And let me just read it to you, Genesis 3, 17. Then to Adam, he dealt with, us, with the serpent, he dealt with Eve. Now he speaks to Adam. Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground, the land, the earth, for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Creation was cursed when Adam was cursed. So now is not what it was and what it should be. Even though creation has, has beauty and splendor and wonder, it's broken. It's fallen. It has death in it and violence and corruption and all sorts of other things which were not part of God's original creation. People are not what we should be. Our behavior is not what it should be. Our societies are not as they should be. We don't think as we should or live as we should and creation is not what it should be. So as Christians, if we love God, we, love, we, 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 we live and yearn for his order, the way things were made to be, the way things should be. We can't have it now entirely, but we still yearn for it, for God's order. And this is becoming increasingly important. For on issues of not only sexuality but also on gender, our society is arguing that nothing is natural or has an order at all. Leading, this is a few headlines for you from some of the emails I got this week. Leading Labour politicians are bowing to an agenda to write gender out of British law and society. They will not only ignore God and scripture, but willfully ignore natural science to pursue a political agenda. Here is what is being pursued today by liberal politics. No such thing as gender. No such thing as right and wrong in sexual behavior, other than coercion or violence. Marriage becomes whatever you want it to be. Here's another one from the news. Some of the Christian email newsletters have received a warning us that the next phase, which is already advancing in America, is polyamory. Do anybody know what polyamory is? It's having more than one marital partner. Instead of living as a couple, you live as a threesome or a quartet or a quintet or whatever musical group you want to invent. Unthinkable? Let me say something to you. If you are into middle age and you can decide for yourself whether you are, there's an awful lot that's happened in your lifetime that when you were born was unthinkable. This age, this world is not how God ordered things to be. We live in this age of sin and death. Between God's original good creation and his final recreation of all things when Jesus returns on the last day.
We look back at how God made things, and for that we need a doctrine of creation, and forward to how he will remake all things, for which we need a doctrine of recreation, of God's eternal final kingdom. That is why a Christian, the one who loves God, is unfitted for this age. We can't fit in, because we're made for something else. We're learning to think differently and live differently as we seek the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying his order, and seek his righteousness. We can't live like the rest of humanity, for they live under the law of sin and death and remain under God's curse. It's only lifted from them when they turn to Christ. We believers live in this present evil age, the proclamations. But we're moving from our original creation as children of God, for that is what Adam and Eve were. We're moving back from sin and the curse and death through salvation, redemption and sanctification in Christ towards the end of days when we shall be fully renewed, restored, resurrected from the dead and shine like the sun in the eternal kingdom of our Father. We're living in a present evil age, but we already belong to the age to come. And we yearn for it, for the remaking of what is good and holy and pure. Most of us know the verses at the very end of Romans 8, but here's the bit that comes before it. Romans 8 from verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen. The glory which shall be revealed in us. We will experience the glory of God. Not just see it, experience, partake in it. For the earnest, this is where it gets a bit complicated and it doesn't get any easier in many translations at all. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself yearns for God's children to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The creation didn't vote, hey, we want to we go with Adam. Right? We'll, 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 we'll side with him. No, creation didn't have a vote. Creation fell because Adam fell. The creation was subject to fertility, the loss, not because of him who subjected, but because of him who subjected in hope. The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're saved in this hope, future hope. Hope that is seen is not hope, but why does we hope for what we yet see? But we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly await for it with perseverance. Creation longs and groans for God's children for the time of renewal, the time when creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Without these solid foundations of creation and fall and future kingdom, the church will not resist the humanistic liberal agenda of today. Without those doctrines, you've got nothing to stand on to say, no, I'm sorry, but that's not right. Let's think for a moment about Sabbath we did two weeks ago. Think about Sabbath. We should rest one day in seven. Why? Because God did. He rested viewing his perfect creation. He rested for a seventh day just enjoying what he made. But think about when the Israelites were given the Sabbath 
They were given a Sabbath when they looked around and it wasn't the perfect world that God made. So every Sabbath they remember God made a perfect world in six days and we are not there. This is not it. The very remembrance of the Sabbath was six days God made a perfect world and we have spoiled it because we rebelled against the Most High. Now let's think about gender, sexuality and marriage. Here's a foundational statement of truth. God created man, you can say mankind there, because that's what it infers, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Repeats in Genesis 5, he created them male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. How many kinds of gender did God make? Male and female. God created mankind in his own image to reflect God, to know God, to enjoy a relationship with God. That's the way God planned it. That's the way God wants it to be. I promise I won't keep quoting that song. But that's not the world chooses to believe today. They reject this foundational truth of God's creation. Come back to gender in a minute, but let's think about sexuality. Romans 1 And two tells us that homosexuality and gender confusion are part of the fruit of a human society that continues in rebellion against God. I'm going to read it to you. Because they rejected the knowledge of God, which was available in creation, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also prove of those who practice them. The moral agenda in our nation, is moving on from sexual identity or behavior to gender identity. You can choose to be whatever gender you prefer. If we love God, we cannot merely accept this because we recognize this is simply our society further continuing on in sin and rebellion against our maker. Some people say one Democratic candidate in America says, but God made me like this. I'm sorry, but I must disagree. We are firstly the product of a fallen creation, of broken genetics, of broken hereditary conditions, warped by our rebellion against and rejection of the maker. So the, the very... Our very creative processes and reproductive processes, the kind of people we produce are sinful. 
The wicked go astray from their mother's womb, speaking lies. Oh, that's a bit tough on babies, isn't it? You don't have to teach children to lie, I know. Who taught them to lie? Sin, human nature. We're products of our nature. Then secondly, we're products of our society, of our environment. And if our environment encourages a certain behavior, people think, oh, okay. We're raised in a godly society that pushes against this order. What about this scripture? Some people try to use this scripture to do... Sorry, I've done that one. To do all sorts of things to scripture. Galatians 3 verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Some people try to use that scripture in a number of ways. Let me just summarize it like I did a week or two ago. Saying, it's like they, they've, they've now got a big rubber eraser. You know when you used to write in pencil and rub it out again? They've got this ra- eraser in their hand. And they're going to use that scripture to rub out all the scriptures that talk about gender-specific issues. Male and female. Male and female in the family. Male and female in the church. We can rub out all the rest. You can't do that with Scripture. The same Paul who wrote Galatians went on to write Ephesians and Timothy and Corinthians where he talks about gender-specific roles in the Christian family, in the Christian marriage, and in the Christian church. We're not trying to tell the world what to do. Those, those are our principles for church. And by the way, Colin and I, your Christian leaders in this church, believe fully in those gender-specific scriptures. We believe there is a God-given role for male and female, different roles in family and in church, which is specified in Scripture. It doesn't take away from that verse. That verse is saying we are equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in redemption. We are children of God. We will be the same in the resurrection. We will have the same privileges in in the world to come. But as we are now in this life, male and female, we are different in character and nature and role. We just have to work away at that and God will reward us for being faithful in the role he's given us. But the the world, our modern society is trying to wipe, wipe away gender identity. That's what we come to. And it's part of our continuing rebellion against God the Creator. And that the church should accede to that agenda is, let me say it, shameful. I won't give you all that bit there. I've given you some things on, on scripture, on, on leadership in the house and in the, in the church and the family, but we are short of time. Uh, leadership and teaching in the church is a male role, eldership is a male role. The issue of gender really matters because it's how God made mankind. It's part of God's good order. But in our modern society, those foundations are being destroyed. Now, there's a verse in Psalm, 1, Psalm 11, verse 3, says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Oh, what can we do about it then? Let me give you a clue. Read the rest of the psalm. <laughs> Read the rest of the psalm. Because the psalm says this. The answer is in the psalm around it. It says, the Lord's throne is in... We were singing it earlier. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He loves righteousness. He will judge the unrighteous. So follow righteousness and keep trusting and obeying him. That's what you're going to do. Even if the foundations are destroyed, that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep doing what we've always done. Believing that God's word is true and acting on what it says. Now here's a second foundational scripture back there in Genesis again. 
about human nature, human identity, human sexuality, marriage. Let's think about marriage. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and be joined, not just leave his father and mother and go off in town and do his thing. No, be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Jesus, both in Mark's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, quotes that scripture together with uh, another one. In Mark 10, give you the Mark version, uh, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate for the divorce and dismissal. And Jesus kind of interrupts the question and says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses wrote you that order. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. That's Genesis 1. Then he quotes Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So when they are no longer two, so then they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Paul also quotes Genesis 2, 24, in Ephesians 5, when he's defining Christian marriage, and in 1 Corinthians 6, when he warns against casual sex. So the context there is actually commercial sex, a man having sex with a prostitute. And he says, if you go and have sex with a prostitute, you're, you're becoming one flesh. You're acting out as if you're married. You're doing something that only belongs in marriage. In other words, the scriptures plainly state that sex outside of marriage, by his definition, not our society's, is a sinful activity and will be judged by God. So we can't accept the values and direction of our age because we live by a different order. We live and yearn for the order of God. What the world calls good is not good. It's in fact broken, fallen. It does not glorify God. God's good order is not being followed in this world, but Christians have no option but to live for God's order and glory. It's what we're baptized into. The lift of the kingdom of God. We hold to creation how God made things to be and we yearn for the age to come, his eternal kingdom when all things will be remade to his order and his glory. We, the church of Jesus Messiah, must hold to the teaching of scripture about original creation, final recreation and how we live now in a present evil age without conforming to this present evil age. A perfect humanity, a perfect society is not achievable in this age. Politicians of every kind and caste, you might say, need to get that in their heads. We cannot build Jerusalem in this green and pleasant land. It's a silly old song, that one. We can't do it. Why? Because we're dealing with sinners. We're dealing with sinful human nature. We can't have utopia this side of Jesus' return. That's the eternal kingdom to come. This world, this age, is not what God planned. Oh, it's got some lovely things in it. It's got things that can make your heart bleep and rejoice. But it's not perfect because we broke it. It crashed with us. And it's not how God planned it to be or how he wants it to be. The gospel is about far more than individual salvation. You know, we often talk about, you know, Jesus is your personal saviour? It's a valid question. But, you know, it's not the biggest question. Are you part of God's big picture? 
that what he lost when we rebelled against him, he is regathering to himself until he remakes it again as he wanted it to be, maybe even better. Because we can't, we can't imagine what that's going to be like, his eternal kingdom. We've been caught up in this stream of God restoring all things in Christ. I'm getting ahead of the scriptures. I'll get there in a minute. You're part of this huge project of God, which is far more than you having your sins forgiven. It includes that, but that's just a little bit of the big picture. He's added you into his purpose to fulfill, honoring his son by giving him a kingdom, a complete new creation full of people who love God because they chose to love God even in this present evil age. Their hearts were turned towards the Lord. So they're rewarded in eternity for having got through this age with all its fires and floods and all the rest of it we sang about earlier. We're marching through, fighting through this present evil age to future glory. You're on that mission with God, with one another, which is why we pray for each other. Okay, here's the mission. In the beginning, God made all things through Christ. John 1. Without Jesus, without Christ, nothing was made that was made. All things were made by him, by Jesus, before he gained the name Jesus, by the eternal Son of God. And God will remake all things through Christ. We need to hold those two ends of this huge span of creation to recreation. We need to firmly believe them. They give us the foundations for dealing with the moral mess that our nation is in. I'm talking about our nation, not the rest of the world, because that's too big for me. All right. Even England's too big for me, but never mind. Here's Peter preaching to the Jerusalem crowd on the day of Pentecost. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That times of refreshing is talking about the new age to come. That's the, that's the Jewish phrase for that. That he may send Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' second coming, isn't it? Who was preached to you before. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Everything put back square. Put back right. Made good. And whole again. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets, holy prophets since the world began. Ephesians 1. Carol was awake last night and she read through the whole of Ephesians, she told me. <laughs> she, she was itching to do it this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Big picture. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he disposed, purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, when, when this time has been completed, in other words, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. It's the same all things of Christ making all things. It's as big as that. That he might gather together in one, could be a capital O there for Jesus, in him, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. You little Christian, you're part of God's big plan. It's huge. It's huge. It's cosmic. To gather together everything into Jesus and make it whole again. That's why he's making you whole along the way. Bit by bit, step by step. Another one, Colossians 1. Longer scriptures, I've given you the headlines. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, invisible, invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things consist. In other words, he sustains the life in them now. He's the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, may have the preeminence. It pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all fullness should dwell. And by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This here now is not it. It's not that. But if we love God, we will love and yearn for his good order. We will grieve that our present world is not what God made it to be that we humans are not what God made us to be, that so many people are so confused about gender and sexuality because of the depth of our fallenness as a human society. We'll be grieved for them, feel deeply sorry for them, because that's what our human nature and our society has led them to, brought them to. And we'll be very concerned that our nation and other nations are continuing further and further into rebellion against our Creator, which leads us further and further away from His good order for mankind. We'll also long for the remaking of all things for when the Lord returns. The revealing of the sons of God will also be the re- recreation of a good world full of the glory of God. Get a hint, read Re- Revelation 21 and 22. We live as Christians by the grace and help of God for the glory of God, following his order as best we can. Jesus put it this way, and I've avoided saying it this way, so you hear it a different way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm calling that, not to beat Jesus, I'm just because you're familiar with that statement, loving and wanting God's order. The way he makes it, the way he rules it, the way he wants it to be. That means we live contrary to the world. Indeed, we are lights in a dark world. We're running by a different current, shaped by a different reality. Lights in a dark world. You may think that your life doesn't count for much, but it is hugely significant that you are a Christian, that you live by God's order, that you long for the restoration of all things in Christ. We may not win the moral debates. We may not win the world over to the truth, but we stand for the truth and choose to live by God's truth. And if you choose to do that, unapologetically, without being aggressive, I'm sorry, but this is the way I'm going to live because this is what I believe, that matters enormously. You have huge significance because you are standing in the they talk a lot about the jet stream giving us all this weather you are standing in the jet stream of God you're going where he's going towards the restoration of all things through Jesus you're not stepping out to agree with the world and become like everyone else he said I'm standing here because I know where I'm being taken to you're not getting there by your own effort God's taking you there but you stay in the jet stream of God's purpose I love the order of God. Your personal salvation is part of a much bigger picture. God is reclaiming and remake what is his again. He will again have a perfect world with the people that he made for himself living in the light of his face and the warmth of his love. If you're a Christian, 
If you aspire to love God, please, I, I urge you, learn to love God's order. That may mean a radical change of mind on some issues for some of us. That we can't be conformed to this fallen world and its continual rebellion. This time, this place, this world is not our true home. Being with our Father in his eternal kingdom is where we truly belong. This world, this age, will pass away. But a new world is coming in which those who love the Lord will live forever. Two scriptures to finish. Two Peter. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it that are in it will be burned up. Okay. Oh, it's the destruction of all things. Yeah, keep reading. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness there will be a day of decreation, but it will also be the day of recreation when God makes all things new. So again, I know I've quoted this a number of times. 1 John 2. Do not love the world. All the things in the world. And again, it's this world, this age. It's talking about the world of men rather than the physical planet. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust or appetite of the flesh, human nature, the lust and uh, appetite of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, and the appetite or lust of it. But he who does the will of God will live forever. Are you a Christian? Are you concerned about the nature of this age in which you now live? But are you also convinced about the glory of the age to which you are being drawn and prepared for by the grace of Christ? For some of us, let me just say this, do you wish to be a Christian? Or is this world and the way it is enough for you? Oh, I'm fine with the way it is. Okay, all right. But if there's a hunger, a yearning in your heart for more than this and better than this, I would suggest to you that God has stirred you to begin to want what you cannot get from this world. So I'm going to suggest to you that when we take a prayer in a moment, you open your mind and your heart to the Lord Jesus and say, could I please find new life and new hope in you, Lord Jesus? Let's pray together. Colin's going to come and lead breaking your bread in a minute. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we as your children may be satisfied with your goodness and yet at the same time be deeply dissatisfied with what is around us, with the society in which we live, with the agenda which is being pursued, with the fall of standards and the, the, the redefinition of some things which really mattered to us because they mattered to you, it seems, in Scripture. Human sexuality, human gender identity, 
Lord, we, we pray. We don't want to be those who just rail against the darkness. We want to be shining like lights. We want to uphold your truth with good reason, with good understanding for doing so. That you made us, and you made it good, you made it well, you made it right, but this isn't what you made. We have turned away from you, and the consequences are in us and all around us. God, please, fix our hearts to you and to your order, to the way that you made it and will remake it, that we learn to love what is good as you see it. And we wrestle with what isn't good. We just have to wrestle our way through it. We have to contend with it, even though we can't win this side of Jesus' coming. But we pray that we may be stronger in conviction and in uh, persuasion so that we live. We don't want to have debates with everybody we meet. We, We want to be... We choose to live by what we know is true and good and right. Strengthen us, Lord. Deepen our faith. Cause us to reflect more on the creation that was and the the recreation that will be. So we continue to walk through the fire and the flood and the wind and everything else that hits us this side of our eternal reward. Now I pray. For anyone here, Lord, who sensed maybe they've never made a response to you, they've never turned to you and asked if they can become a member of your kingdom through Jesus, your son. But there is a struggle in the heart. They, they feel discontented. They feel this world doesn't add up. It, it doesn't work. And something in life for them doesn't work. Lord Jesus, hear their cry now as they just put some words together and turn to you and ask you to begin to work in them, to bring about a change of mind and faith and obedience to Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. 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 Thanks, God. <laughs>